welcome to the podcast Pod Ipsa Locator, a podcast for Connecticut trial attorneys by Connecticut trial attorneys, with your hosts, John Kennedy and Mike Walsh. Good afternoon. I'm John Kennedy. Welcome to Pod Ipsa Locator, a podcast produced by the CLA Committee of the Connecticut Trial Lawyers. Today, my co-host is Cindy Robinson, and today we have a very special guest, Senator Len Fasano, and uh, we hope to discuss with him some of his life choices that he just made recently, as well as the aftermath of the election, which was just held last week nationally and here in Connecticut. Uh, as many of you know, Senator Fasano is the Republican Senator from the 34th Senate District, and he served in that capacity since 2003. He has served as the Republican minority leader, as well as the president pro tem of the Senate. He has been involved in many, many pieces of legislation and many bipartisan measures, including issues of benefit to Connecticut citizens involving financing, tax, and health policy. He's also been an advocate for children and the disabled. He has many times reached across the aisle to with his counterpart, Martin Looney, to uh, write legislation that benefits all of us here in Connecticut. Two things that I would point out with respect to my dealings with Senator Fasano that I think are important. One is, as we talked about, is his bipartisanship. He's always work to govern the state rather than to advance his own or his party's partisan objectives. And I should note that he's won the award, the Civil Justice Award from the Connecticut Trial Lawyers Association. And I think in the same year, he won the Connecticut Medical Society's Award. So that's kind of an interesting combination. And maybe because his dad, Len Fasano Sr., was a doctor here in the New Haven area for many, many years. I think it's also important to note that Len is a practicing lawyer. And that uh, is something that's a nowadays becoming few and far between at the legislature. He's always listened to what people have to say about proposals and given a thoughtful and reasoned response, whether he agreed with it or not. And so, Len, I'm going to start out by asking you the big question. It seems like everybody in leadership seems to be retiring this year in the state of Connecticut. I know Representative Clarides, who's the House Minority Leader and the Speaker of the House, I can never say his name, A to Z, I'll call him A to Z, are also retiring. Is there something in the water this year or <laughs> what is it? No, I think we all had different. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. But I think we all had different reasons for retiring. You know, when you take leadership at the Capitol, the fuse is lit. There's a time that you have to get out. It's a, it's a step towards retirement if you end up as a leader. Very rarely does someone stay beyond six years as a leader. It's a, it's a very rare occurrence. And I think Joe Arzumowitz and Themiscuertis were reaching that point, and so was I. Uh, we all kind of became the head of our respective caucuses around the same time. Senator Looney, is staying there a little bit longer. And I think there are other milestones in Marty's future. He could be the longest serving state senator uh, at 42 years beating Doc Gunther, which was 40 years. So Marty may be looking at a different record and maybe that's why he's hanging on. But I think he's in the twilight part of his career as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if the next two or four years, Marty does step down. But that's what happens. When you become leader, you kind of like the fuse of your own retirement party. There you go. Cindy? So um, Senator Fasano, uh, you know, John mentioned it, but it's such a talent. Through your years of service, you've been able to forge bipartisanship viewpoints on 
so many issues, healthcare initiative, tax policies, fiscal accountability. And it seems right now we are such a divisive nation and that bipartisanship efforts are more important than ever. Do you have any words of wisdom for your successor or for that matter, any legislator, especially newcomers to the legislature in terms of being able to take on that talent? I think there's a couple of things I'd like to say. First of all, if you walk into that building the first day and you're sworn in and when you leave, you're the exact same person. You've missed the greatest benefits that this capital could ever bestow on anyone. What I learned over the years is really listening to people. And I know it sounds cliche, but it really isn't. That capital has so many people who came from so many different social economic backgrounds, personal experiences, religious, what have you. Listening to them describe the problem that you view this way because of your life experiences, but they view it that way. Initially, I didn't appreciate it as much, but as I grew into the job, I recognized the value of understanding those experiences to determine the right way. So I think that's number one. You have to have your eyes and ears open. And I think that's critical. You cannot be locked into a viewpoint. The other thing is I never believed I had to carry a flag for any party. I believe a good idea was a good idea and a bad idea was a bad idea. And that that's how all bills and laws should be viewed. Policy and what's good for the state or what's bad for the state. And if you look at the world that way in the Capitol, it is amazing what you can accomplish in that building bipartisanly. I would also add the press loves the bicker. They love the argument. They love the sound bites. So they do tend to focus on those bills that we don't agree with. And there's less focus on 98% of the bills that we do agree with, where it may not be 100% bipartisan, but by a great amount, it's passed by large numbers of the majority, Republicans and Democrats voting together. But that's not a, a sexy story for the press to pick up. There's nothing there to talk about. Yeah, they did well. Who cares? But w- they like the bickering. So you hear a little bit more than that. But we're not Washington, D.C. We have uh, joint committees where we all get along. We all talk a lot in the halls. So there's this familiarity I don't think we see at the national level. About the what I commented on at the beginning, Lynn, and that is when I was a young lawyer, it seemed like everybody in the legislature was a lawyer. And boy, that's changed. How has that changed the way things are done up in Hartford? Being a legislator takes an incredible amount of time. Look, let's be candid. You don't make a lot of money being a legislator. And if you do the job right, you you can't do both extraordinarily well. If I was not uh, a law partner in my law firm, number one, and my law partner, Al Polito wasn't my best friend since the sixth grade, I would have been fired a long time ago. I used to drive by the sign just to make sure my name was up there. But, you know, it takes an incredible amount of time to do this right. And I think the legislative session is no longer those four or five months. We are in session all year round. We have special session, we have committee meetings, and from the time I began 18 years ago till now, the amount of time that it takes to be a legislator has increased exponentially. Forget about being a leader, just a legislator. So I think that people who are in jobs that require a lot of attention are not going to end up being a legislature. So you end up, I don't particularly think it serves the state well, but you end up with people who are taking the job because it fits their other real job, if you would, 
because they're either getting the time off or they're retired or other issues. And I'm not sure that that makes this legislature a strong legislature. The time to change it, make it a professional legislature. Or look, nobody wants to say legislators deserve an increase because we can only vote our own increase in. And that there's never a good time for that vote to happen. And no one ever wants to be the one with that yes button on that. But, you know, maybe we have to set up a separate committee that does this and reviews it like we do the judges, uh, something like that, and and bake it in. Because at the rate that, that they're being paid, rightfully or wrongfully, it doesn't make any economic sense. And look, I understand there's a, there's an amount of you want to give back to the community, but you also have to live in a world of reality, which is you got to pay the electric bill, you got to pay your house bills, you have a family, and that's got to be a juxtaposed to wanting to serve. I have not made any money for my firm serving. I've lost money for my firm serving in all candor. It's never, you know, people could call me up and ask for help. If they call me state senator, I can make a call and get it done a lot faster. They call me lawyer, they got to enter a retainer agreement, I got to bill them. So I lose when they call me up because they look, I could go this avenue, call me senator and I'll get it done. And that's how when people call me up, that's the way I view things. So Senator, I know you've been a big advocate for children during the period of time that you've served. And in fact, you were named the children's champion in 2015 and 2016 by the Early Childhood Alliance. And you've been outspoken on these issues. What are some of the things or what is something that you would like to see done to better protect children from abuse and neglect in Connecticut? I think we have to get out of the antiquated system that we're in. I think there has to be a better system. What I find is DCF is overwhelmed and the employees are overwhelmed and they're trying to do a good job, but they run into a lot of problems when they visit the house, they can't see the child. And then there's this confrontation that occurs and we've had horrible stories. It's done a lot better with the change of commissioner. I believe that they've done a lot better. But we have to modernize the whole capital is not modernized in any way, shape, or form. Now, legislators are going to get more modernized because we are going to do Zoom. I understand with this session coming up, we may not have a swearing in the traditional way. We are going to open the rules up, and in the Senate, we're going to modernize the place to vote on our board and allow you to vote from your offices because of the pandemic. But there are other ways to modernize our system throughout the whole agency. There is not a correlation between all different parts of DSS that can pick up issues I think that would tell you that something is wrong in a home. We don't have a good system with our public schools as feedback to DCF. So I think there's a lot of missing intel that can come in, find a problem, or perhaps even fix a problem before it becomes a real problem in the homes. So I think we need to really focus on those issues. What I find amazing in all our agencies is the silo of information that we have. And somebody fills out a form, it's in this agency where it can be across a bunch of agencies, making it easier for everyone to get the social services that they need. For instance, if a child is missing from a school for a long period of time, that doesn't necessarily quickly get picked up at DCF. Well, that's something we can really mm-hmm. do through computers. Right, right. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the future of the Republican Party. I know there's been a lot of anguish about the last two elections. And it's only, I think it was only four years ago that you were the president pro tem and that the Senate was split evenly 
terms of Democrats and Republicans in Connecticut. Last two elections haven't been quite as good for Republicans. Is that the Trump effect, do you think? Or what, what is it that has changed them? Gee, you know what? I think there are a whole slew of issues on that. First of all, uh, we were tied in the state Senate and we were almost tied in the House. And what we accomplished was just short of miraculous. Let me explain why. First of all, we put in a constitutional spending cap that was defined. When we did, when they did the income tax, we did not have a defined constitutional definition of that because it had to be passed by two thirds of the House and two thirds of the Senate. We did that when we had our bipartisan agreement. So we had a spending cap, we had a bonding cap, we had a volatility cap. So if we made more than 3.15, I think it is, billion dollars of income in any year. We didn't spend it the next year. We had to take that and put it in our, our rainy day fund. Well, that's because we spent nine months at a table and talked about a budget because they had, the Democratic majority had to have that conversation with us. And we ended up with the largest rainy day fund times two in Connecticut's history. And that's going to serve us well with this pandemic. It's $3 billion. And oh, by the way, we put in almost a billion dollars against pension debt to reduce our, our credit card costs, if you would. So this worked out terrifically. It would not have happened, but for the numbers being as close. That being said, we did two years out lose those numbers down to 14. I took it very personally, be candid with you. It's going to happen right after a president is elected. The two years thereafter, if it is Republican president, you lose Republican seats. If it's Democratic president, you lose Democratic seats. Uh, so I anticipated that to happen. But the most frustrating part was the press. The press never engaged in Connecticut issues, even in this last election. It wasn't about what's happening in Connecticut. It wasn't about the budget. It wasn't about the deficit. It wasn't about taxes. It wasn't about tolls or the road system. It was, do you align yourself with Trump? Yes or no? I'm not interested in anything else. Where are you with Trump? Do you believe what Trump is doing is right? Do you believe the divisiveness that's in Washington is good? Nothing about the state of Connecticut, nothing about the issues that I think people in the state care about. You could split your ticket. You want to vote for President Trump? Don't vote for President Trump. But you need to look at what really affects the people in the state of Connecticut. That is the local vote. That is the vote of what shapes your everyday life is through the Connecticut legislature. I don't think we got a fair shake about it. And what's interesting is a reporter called me two o'clock on the day of the election and said, Len, let me ask you a question. Do you think Republicans got a fair shake this election or do you think the press focused too much on Trump? And I said, well, that conversation, that article would have done wonders two weeks ago, but not the day of the election. You write it the day after the election, who cares? So I think that really was unfortunate for the state of Connecticut. I think our numbers were significantly reduced by Trump and the Trump factor and the press that played that up. Um, and I think it's unfortunate. I think it's going to be a rough next two years. Governor Lamont is a great guy. I like him personally very much, but he's got a tiger by his tail with the General Assembly the way it's made up now. Just following on your, the issue with the press, I, I was just wondering, because you've been serving since early 2000, and it was a, definitely a different time with respect to how we receive information, how voters receive information, how citizens receive information. The whole focus 
focus on social media, Twitter, how we get information immediately. Did that affect the manner or the way that you went about performing your duties over the years? Did it pose different considerations or concerns, knowing that Twitter's out there, Facebook, things are being, Instagram, things are being heard immediately? So, you know, one of the luxuries of not technically serving anymore, I could say what's on my mind. So I will say this, you know, you have to use Twitter and you have to use Facebook to try to get your message out. But the hateful messages that I see on Twitter and Facebook, those people to me are just simply cowards. That's who they are. They're cowards. You want to have a conversation with me because you disagree with me? I give my cell phone number out at huge events, 200, 300 people. I'll give my cell phone number out. And it's never been abused out of all the years that I've done it. You want to have a conversation with me? Have a conversation. You just want to do it in an anonymity type of thing on Facebook or Twitter. I have no respect for those comments. I ignore those comments. Unfortunately, that's the world that we live in. And it is an important tool. But on the other hand, I think that people who react so negatively and so personally, and I haven't been attacked that often, but a lot of my colleagues have been attacked vehemently. And I find that so hurtful and wrong. And it's a bad way for society to act. We need to have a conversation. It is a necessary tool. It has become more and more important because the reach people. The other problem with the media is this 24-hour news cycle. That I will say mea culpa. I have to say something that's going to get me on, you know, we have Capital Report, which is like the place to go to figure out what's happening in the Capitol. It's like the Drudge Report is to D.C., the Capital Reporter to all those addicted to politics in Connecticut. So to get on Capital Report, you have to say something probably a little more harsh than you normally would. Then that person responding to you has to be more harsh than you, and then you got to be more harsh. So it's this escalating war. You see it on all the news, national news cable. Everybody's trying to outdo the other because in every hour they want to have a new headline to that story. So they have to get a reaction that gets that. Same thing with our news cycle on Cap Report and others. To be relevant, to be in the conversation, sometimes your rhetoric gets out of hand. And look, mea culpa, at times I've probably been am guilty of that. But I try to be more critical than just mean or driving a, a, a point in. I like to be more substantive. Just changing the conversation a little bit, Len, you know that you know, this is a CTLA program here. And of course, we're always interested in preserving the civil justice system and making tweaks to the civil justice system that we think will help our clients. Any advice you can give to our membership as to what's the best way to approach those kinds of issues at the legislature? For example, with having clients testify or any other advice you could give us? You know, in the world of Zoom, I don't know what the legislature is going to look like next year. I was just talking to somebody who is on the Democratic side in the Senate about an, an hour ago. I was having a conversation with him and we were talking about how the committee process is going to be somewhat warped because there isn't an ebb and flow in the building anymore. You're doing it on Zoom, which is sort of isolated from the building. The building is very important. The legislative office building, I say this, it is a living, breathing animal. And if you go in there and you've served, you could walk around that building, not go in a meeting and know exactly what's happening in the building, which bills have legs to continue, which bills don't, what alliances are being built. If someone who's not used to that building walk in, they're going to say, gee, there's a lot of noise. It's a lot of chatter. And that's going to be a missing element. I don't know how folks who have lobbyists can get their points across because it'd be very difficult to meet with legislators or get a feel for what that building feels 
knows about your view. And that's going to be really, really weird to see how that kind of plays out. Testifying is critical, but I think getting on the record is important. Face-to-face is always the best way to talk to a legislator. And you do that if I could give helpful hints. If you're a lawyer, you work in New Haven, but like I do live in North Haven, you see the senator reps in New Haven and you see the senator and reps in North Haven. Those are the two areas that you play in. Face-to-face, having that conversation, even with COVID, is a lot better if you got to do it by Zoom face-to-face. That's how you make the biggest and most impactful imprint on a legislator. Nothing beats that. The testimony as of record, so you could say, I'm writing the testimony or my testimony is in, but let's have a conversation. This is why I think this, what do you think? And you go through their aid to set it up. That's the best way. But I think the face-to-face, there's nothing like it. Last question, Lynn. What's yeah. next for Lynn Fasano? I mean, uh, I, I don't think you're going home to uh, garden. I don't see you doing that. <laughs> So what's next? Assuming my name is still on the sign, I'll go back <laughs> a little bit. Of, I'll go back to a little bit of practicing law. But I, you know, I love the policy issue. I just that building is such a terrific institution. It has done more for me than I could ever do for it. It is a wonderful institution, and it needs to always be protected. And there are times you have to do something you don't like to do to protect the institution because that matters more than anything in that building. Uh, So I will say this, I'd love to be still involved in policy. I don't know how yet. I'd love to still be involved in the building. I don't know how yet. Doesn't mean I don't love law, but I do. But it's kind of like I've been away for so long, you know, I'll have to learn how to get back to it a little bit. But I don't really know. We'll have to see what happens after the first of the year and see what comes along. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today. And also, I want to thank you for your service to the state of Connecticut, because I know you've done a lot. And uh, as you pointed out, it's not always so remunerative, but uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, I echo John's thanks to you, Senator. Well, I thank you both. And thank you for having me on. And thank you for your very kind words. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us on Pod Ipsa Locator. The number to contact the CTLA is 860-522-4345. Their website is located at cttriallawyers.org. 